0: You are listening to episode 576 of the Juicebox Podcast. I'm very excited to tell you that Erica Forsyth is back. You may remember Erica from episode 407, 479, or 514. She's been here quite a bit talking about the emotional side of type 1 diabetes, Erica is a marriage and family therapist. She also has type 1 and she's been incredible on this show. Today, Erica will help me tackle a number of incredibly difficult questions that were sent in by children. Please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the Juice Box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. If you're a California resident and you think Erica can help you, check her out at EricaForsythe.com. As you may know, I'm on a mission to add as many people to the T1D Exchange survey as I possibly can here in November. It's my own little Diabetes Awareness Month thing I'm doing. T1DExchange.org forward slash box. U.S. resident who has type 1 or is the caregiver of a type 1, head over. Take you less than 10 minutes to fill out the survey. It's amazing. You'll help people. You'll help the show. This episode of the Juicebox podcast is sponsored by TrialNet. You know TrialNet. They provide type 1 diabetes risk screening at no cost to the relatives of people living with type 1. I'll tell you all about them a little later in the show. TrialNet.org forward slash Juicebox. About five months ago, I had what I thought was a good idea. I thought I would do like a defining diabetes series for children based on their questions about diabetes. I thought it was going to be great. So I go on Facebook and I ask, hey, can you tell me some of the questions that your kids have asked about diabetes? And then what happened next was not what I expected. (laughs) So I am looking at a Facebook thread here that is now 22 weeks old that has 256 responses in them. One more heartbreaking than the next. Ugh, and so yes. I didn't know what to do, and I thought, I'm going to do it with Erica. Um, and so I don't know what this is supposed to be. I'm just going to jump right into it, okay? And I'm, okay. I want to try to get your top line responses, and I think the conversation will find its way. That's my goal. Okay. So, Sounds good. Yes. So I just threw up there, and I said, hey, do your children ask diabetes-related questions that are difficult to answer? And, you know, like, I just thought it would be like, they even put up some examples, like, will I have diabetes the rest of my life? You know, will I still have diabetes when I'm six? Like, that kind of stuff. These are the Mm -hmm. things that Arden asked me when she was younger. Right. The very first one out of the box, somebody says, my child has asked me, what happens if my blood sugar goes to zero? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, uh... So so let's just start there and see how far we can get through this. Okay. How 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 valuable is it for children and at what age to understand the real consequences of them getting too much insulin? And do you run the risk of scaring them about their insulin too?
1: I think my first thought is, gosh, I wish I knew what age each child, you know, when a parent was writing in, because I think it's it has to be so relevant and appropriate and make it age age appropriate right well, Each i have response. the age for
0: you here don't worry
1: okay okay um, um so do you want to tell me or do you want me just to guess no, I, no, like no. It?
0: Uh, they said they said the child is six years old Ooh, erica you're breaking up you're gone actually
1: no, I'm here. No, you, I was here. Yeah, I didn't press anything. I no, I know, I
0: know you didn't, but the this, <laughs> this system it booted you like you had a weak signal or something like that. Okay. So sorry about that. Um, so yeah, six years old. What happens if my sugar goes to zero?
1: Okay. So I think in keeping it appropriate and not fear, you know, causing any inappropriate fear, but also you want to create a respect around the insulin. I think if... If I were the parent in this res- in this response, I would say, well, we have all of these precautions and tools to prevent us from going to zero. Um, and th- that would be the case, particularly with, you know, the a, a CGM. Um, and I think that the child seems to be asking like kind of worst case scenario thinking Um so I would just, I would start and maybe end there to say, we have all these tools to make sure that you don't go to zero. Okay. Um, and, and we know what to do when you start to go low, when you start to feel, you know, all the symptoms of when you feel low um, to prevent that from happening.
0: At a certain age though, don't people deserve to know what happens if their blood sugar goes to zero and what, like, how do you figure that out? It's gotta be case by case, right? Right.
1: Yes and I, and I don't know you know the stats to be honest around how many people are um have hypoglycemic unawareness mm-hmm. and end up having seizures end up having to be hospitalized or even death um and we all know in our community those are real possibilities um and I th- I would imagine it's probably a small amount of people who have hypoglycemic and awareness. So I think at some point I would say, I think maybe, maybe closer to 10 um, when maybe even eight to 10, when children have more um, understanding of death, um, they might not understand it completely, but they might start asking questions. If grandparents are dying, I think you can connect it to that developmental understanding of that things bad, it can happen, but that, but not to link it to a f- to their personal fear, that because I think you could you could create a real fear of going low. Yeah, and, and we could have an and we want to try and avoid that,
0: right? Right. right. Uh, also, I would say that uh, you you don't want to attach it to their personal success or failure. Like you 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 definitely don't want to say to somebody, "Hey, listen, here's why you should do a better job because you don't want to die." Like that's I don't think that's a valuable way to talk to people, generally speaking.
1: Correct. No fear, fear-based motivation, particularly with type one t- does not work. Um, in terms of, you know, even going the opposite way of you, you don't want to go high or else you're going to go blind. Yeah. Um, and you don't want to go low or else you're going to die. I think, you know, you know, those, those are number one, really, it's really rare. And number two, that doesn't, that isn't going to lead to, um, you know, solid management, blood sugar control. Right.
0: Yeah. People don't don't generally do their best thinking when they're in fight or flight mode. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So here's another one. Ready? Um, My children who don't have diabetes always ask me if they're going to get diabetes. Mm -hmm.
1: Yes. And I I mean, I could even share from growing up. Yeah. I was was diagnosed first at age 12. Two years. and, And in between that time, I have a younger brother and who was approximately four years younger and I know he was concerned two years later when he was 10 he was diagnosed with type 1 and so then my parents had my sister do the the trial net at the time I think it was still called trial net this was many years ago 30 plus years ago um and she did not have any of the antibodies um, but I know that that was a certain you know it is a very real, fear for siblings who do not have type one, particularly when they see how it can change your life, particularly in the beginning of diagnosis. Um, And so so what was the specific question? What do I tell my children?
0: Well, well, let's just I mean, you don't have to tell her what to tell them. What would you do? Because I'll tell you right now that I answered that question when it was asked of me with Mm -hmm. I hope not but there statistically you have a, a, a mm-hmm. an elevated chance because Arden has diabetes but i hope it doesn't happen to you and then i took my son to trial on that yeah
1: yeah yeah so i mean i think we we can't make any guarantees to our children right that you know, they're never going to catch a cold or they're never going to break an arm um, so i think when you know am i is this something bad going to happen to me in life in general i think we want to tell our children well we yeah we hope not but we're going to do our best to, you know, let you live a life of of freedom and enjoyment and play in soccer and sports. But we're, and we hope that you don't have break an arm. Um, I know I'm kind of globalizing this response, yeah. but it, but if something does happen, then, you know, we're going to be here to support you and we're going to get through it as a family. Um, it's very how much, I would
0: respond. Yeah, mm-hmm. It's 99% the same vibe as what do I What happens if my blood sugar gets to zero? What happens is we're going to try really hard for that not to happen. If it tries to happen, we're going to do our best to fix it with everything we know. And here are some of the things we know.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think it's, you know, the children, they're they're asking questions because they're scared. And I think as parents, we want to reinforce that, you know, that things do happen. We can't protect them from everything. But if something does bad happen or something that we're not planning for, that we are going to do our best to support you as our child to right. get through it and we're going to get through it together
0: okay ready yes eight, eight years old when will my pancreas work
1: again Ugh. yes i often still ask that question <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm still,
0: still wondering that myself oh, what, is happening? Yeah. what is happening oh erica <laughs> i apologize hold on one second for yes me. yeah Hey, it's a little early for the ad, but it's a natural break in the conversation, and then everything will just flow after this. So I'm putting it here. I'm here to tell you about TrialNet. TrialNet, of course, is a type 1 diabetes risk screening organization that offers that screening to you at no cost. This is for people who are relatives of someone with type 1. Who's eligible? You qualify for a free risk screening if you are between the ages of 2.5 and 45 and have a parent, brother, sister, or child with type 1 diabetes. You also qualify if you're between the ages of two and a half and 20 if you have an aunt, uncle, cousin, grandparent, niece, nephew, half-brother, half-sister who has type 1. Last way you can qualify, if you have tested positive for autoantibodies outside of TrialNet, like through another service. And don't forget, this is free to you. All you have to do to sign up go to trialnet.org forward slash juicebox You answer a few quick questions to see if you're eligible, and then you join thousands of type one families who are on the pathway to prevention. Here's how you get screened. With an in-home test kit, with a lab test kit, or by going to a trial net location. All right, so you can either do it at home, they'll send it to you, you do it with a finger stick, and you just send it back uh, with FedEx. I think they come right to your house, just pick it up. Or you go to a lab, like Quest or LabCorp, where they'll do the blood stuff and the sending. Last way, you can ask if there's a trial net location near you where you would go to get the blood draw done. Then your results, right, this is what you want to know about, your results will be received in four to six weeks. If your results show that you are in the early stages of type 1, trialnet will schedule a follow-up visit to see if you are eligible for a prevention study. Here's a couple reasons why you may want to know if you have the autoantibodies. Type one family members are at a 15 times greater risk to develop T1D than the general population. Type one screening will detect if you are in the early stages of type one. And if you are identified as at risk, TrialNet is here to help you. They have prevention trials. If your screening results show that you are in the early stages of type one, you may be eligible to join a prevention study, testing ways to slow or stop the disease progression. They also offer ongoing monitoring by top type 1 researchers in the world. And if you do develop type 1, being monitored in a clinical research study, like TrialNet, decreases your chances of DKA from 30% down to three. And you know what else? It helps the greater good. A future without type 1 diabetes starts with you. Research can advance with participants. Research can only advance with participants. The more participants who are involved in clinical research, the faster we'll find answers. So you're in a unique position to identify treatments that will slow or stop type 1 from happening. In the last 20 years, TrialNet has been the leading network in type 1 diabetes prevention research. In addition to being able to accurately predict who is going to develop type 1, TrialNet has now found a way to delay it by leading the teplizumab prevention trial. Teplizumab is the first drug to delay type 1 for a meeting of two years. This is an incredible advancement that gets us one step closer to our ultimate goal. Trialnet.org forward slash Juicebox. When they ask how you heard about them, tell them the Juicebox podcast. But you have to complete the process for it to count for me. So don't just order the kit at home and sit on it. You have to do the work and send it in. Okay, so I'll start over again because we got interrupted. I apologize. Uh a young child, when will my pancreas work again?
1: Yes. So oh, uh, that is a tough one. I mean, I think it is, you know, when I was diagnosed, there was still a lot of talk of let's, you know, we're we're fighting for a cure, we're walking for a cure. And I think those are all lovely things. I think it's also really helpful to not plant those seeds of not necessarily false hope, but I think you want to be realistic. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what I was, what I was told. And when I talked to, you know, younger children in my office about, you know, was, will this ever, will I ever get over this? Will I ever get better? I'm, you know, in terms of like the sick narrative. Right. Um, and I think to, to you have to be honest, particularly I think eight, you know, I think the child can, can understand that, you know, the pancreas, might not work, will will probably not work the way it used to um, without help. Um, Now, I think there, obviously, there's a lot of hope for the future about all the various ways um, that maybe, transplant aside, I don't think that's like a really realistic thing to go into with children. Um, So that has, uh, you know, enough complications of its own, but I would, I would say, you know, I don't, it, it probably won't work the way it used to, And we have all these other ways to to help it, to help your body function, um, even though it's not going to work the way it used to. But I think in that, allowing space for all of the other emotions of, you know, that he's the child's trying to find some hope in the diagnosis, Um, like, well, are things ever going to change? And so allowing space for the anger and the sadness around, it's a loss. Mm -hmm. I know we've talked a lot about that already, but I think. Allowing for instead of quickly going to well, but it's going to be okay because we have our pump or our CGM or we have, you know, there are all these other cool possibilities but out don't, there don't that don't might happen in the future. Let them have, right. Let
0: them have their feelings, experienced, their complete feelings about it. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah.
0: I listen. The way I talk about it out loud is, I hope for a cure, and I live like there isn't going to be one.
1: Yes, yeah, I've heard you say. I like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. I just think that that's um,
0: that just seems reasonable to me. I I, I also, you know, to get a little more thoughtful about it, we haven't exactly cured a whole bunch of things in the course of human history. So, um, you know, and there's a lot of things that need to be cured. That's right. and, And I think it and I not just think, but I've seen the idea of there's going to be a cure stop people from taking good care of themselves in the moment thinking, oh, this won't matter because in a few years, this won't exist anyway.
1: And, mm-hmm. and they can use that as, mm-hmm.
0: a, as a crutch to not take care of themselves, which.
1: Yes, yes, absolutely. No, I love that phrase of, yeah, I mean, I think it's, it's okay to hope, but to be realistic with that hope and yeah, and live like there isn't going to be one.
0: Okay. Oh, here's one that's a specific question, but I, I, I'm going to make it a little more generic. This person just says, does this mean I can't live in my car now and says that their child had an ambition before they were diagnosed, to live in a car and travel around. But I mm-hmm. think what they're asking is, are my dreams not possible now?
1: Yeah, yeah. Right, yeah. Can I, I was hoping to do whatever it is, and now with this diagnosis, is that impossible? Yeah. Um <clears throat>
0: You know, the answer Gosh. people usually use used to mm-hmm. be used to be, oh, you can do everything except be in the military or fly an airplane like a like a passenger. <laughs> like it used to be like that thing of of course, until you uh-huh. meet a kid that wants to be an airline pilot. And then it's not as comforting. But I that idea of like, you can do anything except for these two odd things over here, which you don't want to do anyway, don't worry about it until mm-hmm. they want to be in the military or something like that. So. Um, so what is the real question? The real question is, I, I Are my dreams not possible? And I would think if you're young enough, the answer m- might be, I might say, look, I know right now you want to do this thing, but you might learn or grow or think of something different and m- you'll be able to do that fine. And if you can't do this thing, I bet you we could find a way for you to do it. Because I don't imagine much you can't do with
1: diabetes, honestly. Right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I... And and I know I think you can be in law enforcement with it. Um,
0: yeah, I've interviewed a police officer that has. Yeah, that.
1: that's what I thought. Yeah, that's yeah, what yeah. I thought. Okay, yeah. Um, so yeah, in terms of traveling around in a car um, or living in a van or traveling around, um, you know, the US or wherever, I think that's definitely doable. I would probably want to make sure there was a a CGM or something of that nature just for safety. Um, but it, it feels like I think upon diagnosis, it feels like there's a loss of freedom. Mm-hmm. And so, whether it's this particular child or any other children, you feel like, oh no, are all my all my other dreams or all the other things that I feel like I can do freely or without planning, is that is that going to be taken away from me? Whether it's a certain job or a certain activity or a birthday party, you know, all of those things. Um, and it is it is a mental shift so i would say you know yes i think most dreams most jobs you know having children um which i was told would might not happen you know 35 years ago right. um that we are we are evolving within obviously our diabetes treatment man- and management um yeah and so maybe that most a, things are possible, right. yeah, it just takes planning I mean that, that's really it just takes more planning, <laughs> yeah,
0: and if you are in one of the things that's blocked, like military, like there's a mm-hmm. question here from somebody that says that their father was a is a submariner and that the kid wanted to do that, and they can't do that now um and so mm. but, but I do think that's a valuable like you know, I mean, honestly, look, there's a lot of nine-year-olds that think they want to be something that don't want to be it when they're 18. That's right. So maybe just like it's maybe you you go hopeful. We'll, we can take care of it. And then maybe privately you hope it, you know, they change their mind or you can actually figure <laughs> out a way to get to it. I'll tell you, um, that's an overwhelming question here. Here's another overwhelming question here. Some version of why me? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yes, I don't even know what to say about that.
1: And right. I. I remember, I, I think every child for the most part goes through this stage. And, and even as as the parent as the caregiver might explore that in their own processing. Um, I remember even reading a book in, I think it was right after I was diagnosed called why me about a child who was diagnosed. It was a, a fictional book. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think if we were to zoom out most kids with any kind of sudden change or diagnosis of, you know, that shifts their, their lifestyle is going to go through that. Um, and I think, you know, we, I spend a lot of time with my, um, children clients processing this and there's really, you can't rush it. Um, I think it, it even will come and go throughout maybe your lifetime. Even if you come to a place of acceptance, some, some children are incredible and say, well, this is just going to be my thing and I'm going to make it work. And they can get there very quickly. Some, some children really struggle with the anger because it it's, it's hard. It's hard as a child, you know, to manage this. I mean, mm-hmm. even as a grown adult. Um, and so I think, like any kind of grief process, you might come to a place of acceptance, but it, it, it's okay for it to come back.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that there isn't, we can't, we can't answer that question, right? We can't say, well, this was, you know, this was your plan for your life. I mean, that we, that's the hard part, right? When our children ask us questions that we really can't have clear answers for. And we yeah. can say, we, you know, we don't know, but we know it feels, I imagine it feels this, this and this. And, Let's continue to talk about how it feels.
0: Yeah. Yesterday I was with Arden while she was getting her senior portraits taken by a photographer. And Mm -hmm. at some point she moved a certain way. And the woman was like, is that a a pod? And Arden goes, yeah. (laughs) Right. And the lady goes, oh, my daughter's best friend has uh, diabetes and she wears an Omnipod. And, you know, I mean, like, it's no great thing. We were only like one town away from where we live. Like, it's not like I was in Massachusetts and I grew up in New Jersey. And and the woman said the, the kid's name. And I said, oh, my gosh, I put that kid's first insulin pump on her. And <laughs> oh, she, my gosh. And she goes, what? So the kid's like five, six years younger than my daughter, but had played softball. Actually, they listened to this. So this is where they're going to hear this. Um, <laughs> and I remember them just being if I remember like apprehensive about putting on an insulin pump the first time. And I was like, just come to my house and I'll I'll do it for you. Uh And then all these years later, there we were with a woman taking my daughter's picture, and she's like, oh, my daughter's friends with that girl. So the woman knew about all this, and it started a small conversation. And I I don't remember the exact question she asked Arden, but it was about, like, is this, you know, like, how is it living with diabetes kind of thing? And Arden goes, she just says, I'm good with it. It's fine. And she really meant it. She meant mm-hmm. like, and and I did think in that moment. I wonder if it'll always be that way, or if she'll wake up one day when she's thirty six and just be like, "Oh my god, I still have diabetes." <laughs> you know, like this is just still happening, huh? Um, but I I I appreciate your answer. So, okay, you're gonna keep going. We are gonna be crying by the time this is over. Just so you know. Um, <laughs> okay. Oh my gosh. Well, we already covered when will I go, when will it go away? Uh, mm-hmm. So it's not fair. Why me? Mm-hmm. Um, how long can I go without insulin? Uh, that one is, I think right along it's I think that falls right into the what happens if I'm zero, like right like you're. It's the same kind of scenario. like it's a real health issue. It could mm-hmm. end with it could end poorly with you know, DK or death. Um, right. And the answer has to be, you need insulin all the time. You need basal insulin and you need to bolus for your meals. I think it just has to be like, like very cut and dry when you talk about stuff like that.
1: Yeah. And I think I I might be reading in too much to the question, but also kind of like, am I going to have a break from this? Is there ever going to be a period of time where I can just not take my injections or have my pump on my body? Um, And I think that that's the, that's the child trying to process, like, is this ever going to end? Yeah. Um, yeah.
0: Well, here's the next. Here's three questions later. If I don't do insulin, will I die?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I don't know. Like, again, that Ugh. comes down to age again. Right.
1: Right. Yeah. How yeah. old did you know how old that child know, is? Let me
0: look. Uh, oh, God.
1: Well, I guess is, it probably doesn't necessarily matter. I could probably answer it. Yeah, just, well, this it depending young, on the bra- age bracket. This
0: kid's younger because they had three questions. I love. Okay. Um, here you go. Uh, the kid said, "If I don't do insulin, will I die?" Then she said, "I love my diabetes today, but I didn't love it yesterday. Mm-hmm. When will my diabetes go away? When I was in your tummy, mommy, did I have diabetes too?" Oh,
1: so oh.
0: so she's little.
1: Yes, yeah. so she's she's processing. What does this mean? And like also because you know a, a younger child has a sure, hard time sure. with time.
0: Erica sure tummy thing got me god damn it
1: yeah (laughs) yeah yeah my nose go ahead (laughs) yes (laughs) i think processing like the timing of younger children don't know like yesterday today tomorrow you know in two hours in two weeks right so they're trying to understand the permanency and that's a really hard concept um and like was i always this way did i always have it um Oh, it's, it is painful. And I think for you, know, the younger children, I would stay, you know, day to day, not, I would maybe, because I don't think they really understand like, well, this, you're going to have this forever Yeah. Um, to say, well, today we're going to, we're going to do our best today. And then we're going to go to bed. And then tomorrow we're going to do our best again. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the, was this, does she start off with, if I don't have insulin, will I die? That
0: was the first one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would say for the younger children. I would, I don't think you need to go to the deaf, like I think you say, well, if you don't have insulin, I would just start in the affirmative. Like you need insulin to feel good and excuse me, and to, to live the life that you want to live and play and have, you know, go to school and have play dates and play on on sports or dance. Um, And so you need insulin every day to do all those things. Um,
0: Is reframing important then? Because yes. they're, they're asking the questions sort of in a defeatist way, you need mm-hmm. to kind of like flip it around and reframe mm-hmm. it so that it's not so that you hear. If I don't do insulin while I die, you don't even address that. You say, "Oh no, let me let me explain to you right now. You need insulin to feel good. Insulin keeps you mm-hmm. healthy. Um, you know, so you you accentuate the positives and don't don't skirt the question, but don't lean into the sadness of it.
1: Well, or the the. I mean, it's obviously we all know that that's the reality, right? If we yeah. don't type ones don't have insulin, they will die over, you know, I, I don't know what the actual length of time is. I usually generically say a week to people to try and like, um, when I'm explaining what my type one is to other people. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, and you're like, if I eat this cookie right now, I'll be dead in
1: seven days. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Right. Those, those questions look at me. Can you eat that? Yeah. Um. So I think, for, yeah for younger children I would say probably up to I, like the eight to ten I mean I think as younger children even the five six seven year olds they will understand death ex- outside of their own body right they in terms of pets dying gr- grandparents dying um, I think relating it to their own, concept that they will, they might ask those questions, even when they are exposed to death, will I die someday? And I think you can say, well, we, you could also globalize and say, we know what we're all going to die someday, depending on how your child is in or experience around death. If there's no experience around death, I would keep it in the affirmative of saying we need insulin to keep you alive or to, um, to keep you healthy. We need insulin to keep you happy. And doing things you want to do, mm-hmm. I would say later, um, eight to ten, you could have more kind of realistic conversations around. You do need it to keep you alive, right?
0: And I listen. I go back all the time to a story that a woman told on here once. Very quickly, uh, her child with diabetes was younger, was eating. They had an older child that didn't have type one. The mom had to leave the house, and the the kid. The older kid was put in charge of making sure that the child ate because they had already given them insulin. Um, Mom leaves. The kid doesn't want to eat her food, uh, his or her food, excuse me. And then the older kid, in a desperate attempt to get them to eat, says, you know, if you don't eat that, you're going to die. And no one had ever said that to the kid before. (sighs) So the child was just wrecked when the mom got home, like sitting on the floor crying because no one had ever told them that diabetes could kill them. Yes. And so that's how you don't want to find out is my point.
1: No. That. Yeah. 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 yeah, I think you, you want to have the, these types of conversations with your child so that, yeah, they aren't shocked.
0: Yeah. You're going to have to take some responsibility too, and really feel your kid out and make sure you're having these conversations at the right times. Like nobody can tell you what the right exact age is to do something like this. All right.
1: Yeah. It really depends on your family the way you talk about things your family's life experience exposure to death um and your personal your your comfort level i think you need to be i think it as a caregiver it might be hard to come to terms with that concept yeah. right that your child might die if you don't your child could die if you don't do all the things but i think again going back to like the stats i really I don't know. Maybe you do, Scott. But like, how often people die from a low blood sugar? I mean, obviously, there's chronic. If you're not in good, and you know, and you're not in your, and you're managing well, yes. Yeah, I
0: don't know the numbers, but I have to tell you that it's an idea that I lean on pretty heavily for my own daughter, right? Which is, Mm -hmm. is there a lot of people have diabetes? I don't wake up every day to the news that twenty thousand more people have died from low blood sugar overnight. We have the best gear we can have it benefits her health to do things the way we're doing. And I really hate to say this, but if that's how she goes out trying to live well, there are worse ways to die. And so mm-hmm. I just think that, um, I, I think that that answer is we're going to do the best thing for you. We can. Yes. There's risks in everything. There's risks in this too. Um, yes. Yes. All right. So Erica, the next two questions are both equally horrible in different ways. Um, <laughs> so, uh, Here's one for you that at asked a lot, and I genuinely don't know how to answer this one because I don't have a lot of experience in this space. But why did God give me diabetes? Mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. So
0: if you're a very religious family, you may be living your whole life on the bend of like, hey, what we have that's good in the world comes from Jesus. What we have that's bad in the world comes from Jesus. Then all of a something this happens, and you know, Jesus loves me. Why am I? Why do I have diabetes?
1: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't even know. What yeah, to that's. I, I hear that question as well. Um, and I think it comes down to, yes, your, your relationship with God. Um, and if you are, if you have a faith and you believe in God, it's, it's very natural for a child to then say, well, if God is in control of everything, why did he let this happen to me? That's kind of the question I hear. Why didn't he protect me from this? Um, and, I would explore with the child, you know, what, what is their understanding of how things work in the world? Um, like God doesn't plan for people to have car accidents, like bad things happen right. um, that are out of our control. Um, but it doesn't mean that God is not with you or that God doesn't care or that God doesn't love you. Um, and ultimately where children will, will land is, well, you know, God didn't necessarily give this to me, but He can help me get through this. Yeah. Um, so in terms of if, if they have a faith or trust in Him, yeah, right,
0: right. So if you have a religiously faith-based life, you don't want to destroy it in one fell swoop by saying, "I don't know, I guess He sucks." You know, like, right? So, yeah, you, you, just, <laughs> right. you just gotta like. You, that all right? That makes sense to me. I but I think
1: that. I think that it, that is also you're wrestling with and trying to find a reason why you were diagnosed and you're going to be angry at anything and everything initially. Right. Yeah. And so you're, they're trying to find like, well, God, I'm angry at God. I'm angry at mom and dad. I'm angry at whatever. Cause we're trying to place, find a reason or place blame when some, when things just happen that are out of our control.
0: I find the um, randomness mm-hmm. like comforting, Like that something bad happened and it's not for like it just happened. Like some people's genes just kept, you know, people like the way I think of it, my daughter has diabetes because a really long time ago, two people met each other, had babies. And along the course of that happening over and over again, led to this um, autoimmune issue. And that's why she has it. It almost feels like it's nobody's fault. And right. Yeah. And that's like comforting to me. I I guess my brain just works backwards. from.
1: No, I, 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 I think that's a helpful Rationale as well. You yeah. know, that I mean, it, it obviously isn't anybody's fault. It's our, how our genes have, as you said, mutated, because right? It's a horrible um, thought
0: to look at your wife and think, had I just picked the other girl, this might not have happened. <laughs> you, you know what I Or she would have just said no to me, then, you know, this wouldn't happen. But then the kids wouldn't exist. And I'd, I'm not willing to give them up for that. So you, right. have, you have to be okay with this.
1: Honestly. Right. You know? Yes.
0: All right. Here's a little twist. I'm going to tell you what the kid said, but then I'm going to ask you a question for parents. Okay. Uh, Three years old, had had diabetes for about a half a year, falling asleep one night, says, Mom, can you take my diabetes away because I don't want it anymore? Can you take it away Uh. from me in the morning? And he wanted to wake up and not be diabetic. She said Mm -hmm. that, oddly enough, at the time, they didn't talk about this stuff because they thought the kid didn't have the capacity to even talk through it. But (sighs) obviously was having these thoughts. So Mm my question around this one is what should she feel after that happens? Like, like, um, and I'm going to just give you another one. Like I was putting Arden to bed one night a long time ago and when we were just testing her blood sugar before she went to bed and she just very like matter of factly says, Hey, what, how am I going to do this when I'm in college?
1: Mm -hmm. And
0: she was like, I don't know, seven or eight. And I said to her, "Um, well, I'm figuring things out right now so that I can teach them to you and then you're going to know what to do and you'll just be Mm -hmm. able to do them. And I said, and if you have trouble, you could call me and I could help you because I really understand it. And I'm sure you'll make friends who will help you. And I did all that. But that's not even the story. The story is that I barely got out of her room and closed the door before I cried a lot very horribly. Um, So what do we do for the people who are being asked these questions?
1: Oh, well, I know. Yes. My heart goes out to parents who are, I mean, it's, it is incredible that the child asked this. I know many caregivers have shared this, you know, wish to me. I know my parents shared this to me, like, oh, we would do anything to take, to have this instead of you. Yeah. Um, I know as parents, you know, you want to protect your children as much as you can and the fact that this 3 year old is verbalizing um like when i will this go away can you take this away uh, that's really really painful um i think so as you asked how should she feel in the morning meaning the child or the parents i
0: mean the parent like what, what i mean you can say whatever you're going to say that's going to be valuable for the kid and their progress but when you get out of the room you realize i can't take this away mm-hmm. and that's all this kid wants and now i'm a failure
1: yeah you know i think you go you go out and have a good cry um and you cuz i think you're there's a good, there's probably that's going to trigger some grief around the permanency and around hearing actually that your child doesn't want this, right. Doesn't want to live with this. And I think, so understanding that's going to, obviously it's, it's causing grief, it's causing sadness um, and that we are, you are out of control. We can't take it away Mm -hmm. from your child. Um, And so the next morning I would, if, I mean, it depends on how the child would wake up but i i would have a conversation with my 3 year old and just thanking thanking them for sharing that and saying i need to, you know encouraging that those continued conversations around you know wishing it were gone knowing that we can't take it away but i think affirming her ability to express that is where i would lean into as a parent um and i think it's okay to be sad sad with your child yeah
0: my my takeaway from what you just said is that it's going to take a long time for this to be okay and that it's a continuing conversation you don't want to just shut it down or think you're going to fix it with one statement today and i think that's hard for people to hear but if you have diabetes in your life it, it could take years and decades for this all to to flatten out and feel like it's normal and it it doesn't mean that it's not worth doing. I just think it's a, it's a very long process, like life. It's a very long, you know, when they, you, people say like, oh, you're married, like it's, you got to work at it every day. You don't work at it every day with the idea of like, well, once we've done it for 20 years, we won't have to work at it. Anymore. <laughs> right. like it, 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 it doesn't go that way. So this is part of your life now and, and having conversations about it. And these conversations are going to morph. They're going to change. The questions are going to change and you have to keep having the conversations or it'll get bottled up somewhere and cause a problem. So,
1: yes. Yeah. yeah. I think just yeah. Accept- accepting the fact that once your child or you as a caregiver has accepted it, it doesn't mm-hmm. mean that it's all going to be, you know, rainbows and flowers for the rest of your life. Like, it's okay to go back to the frustration and sadness. Yeah. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Um. So here's the thing that parents do a lot that I think they think is kind and it might be, and I just want to understand, but it comes up a lot in this thread, uh, because then their children ask why they say it when parents say, I wish this was me and not you. Mm-hmm. Is that something you want to put on a kid? Like, is that kind or is it scary?
1: Yeah, I think the, so the parents saying, yeah, I wish this was me and not you. I wish I could take this away from you. I wish I had it. Yeah. Um, and as I, yeah, I, I remember distinctly my father saying that multiple times when I was newly diagnosed. Um, and I think that's their, they're, they are processing their grief and sadness and not being able to control, you know, or protect, quote unquote, protect their child from hard things. Um, I also feel like, is that a so your second? Is that a hard thing for a child to hear? Is it scary?
0: Yeah. Should you keep that to yourself, or is, does it help them to hear it? Because at a certain age, I've I've said to Arden not that, but I've said something to her about like I know this is hard, and she'll be like, No, you don't. And I'm like, Oh, she's right. I don't really know. So you know, like, is that the same kind of vibe? Like, I wish I could take it away. Well, that's nice, but you can't. So why are you saying it to me? Like, I don't know if that as you get older, if that could be a concern.
1: Right, I think. Uh, sorry, I don't know what is making that noise. Sorry, that's okay. Turn that off. Um, yeah, I, I think what the <laughs> oh my <laughs> goodness, what is that? I don't know. It was hilarious.
0: You're like, don't worry, I've got this, I'll shut it right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> um, let me see, it might be okay. All right, let's hopefully it doesn't happen again. That's okay. Go ahead. Apologies. Okay, don't so worry. I would say. So the parent what the parent is trying to express is their is their sense of loss right and their sadness. So is it helpful I don't know. I mean I don't remember feeling just personally I don't remember feeling angry when he would say that. I think now if you're to kind of pull out and zoom out a little bit more again to in general is that helpful? The, yeah, the parent can't take it away, but what they're really trying to say is, "I'm so sorry that I, this is happening I, to I, you." I
0: would do anything for you if I could. Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. Listen, I don't think I'm not making a judgment about it. I, I don't have a feeling about it one way or the other. I'm just it makes me wonder because a lot of people say it. They um, do. Yeah.
1: So I, I think I sorry. know this is hard. Um, I think you're trying that. You know, you're trying to validate. And empathize with your child. I think maybe it could be reframed to. I I don't know how hard this is because I don't have it. I'm not. I'm not the person living with it. Yeah. But I can imagine it's really hard.
0: I'll, I'll tell you this. I stopped in under. I stopped wondering if I could put myself in my daughter's shoes when <laughs> she said to me one day. Um, she referring to a. a, a, a a severely autistic kid that she knew who had a lot of deficits and whose life wasn't easy. She said that she'd rather be him and not her because at least he can't die from his thing.
1: Mm -hmm. And I was Mm
0: -hmm. like, this kid kid is feeling life on a level that I did not understand. And I am not going to try to put myself in her shoes again in front of her. Um, Because I mean, she was not very old when she said that.
1: Wow, that is profound, yeah. and I'm sure it was really hard to,
0: to hear. Yeah, Yo, I'll tell you one of the things I'm great at because of diabetes is staring into the eyes of a person I love without crying when all I want to do is cry. So yeah,
1: I'm, yeah.
0: I'm super good at that now.
1: <laughs> yes, and I think kind of you know that's a really normal process though of, of comparison of yeah. like illness comparison, and gosh, I feel like this would be easier. And that's all you're all that's all just kind of trying to gamble, make sense of it like I wish it feels like it would be easier with this illness and with the other one. Um, but we know that all of it is hard. Mm-hmm. Um, like you're trying to make sense of it.
0: Right. Well, there's a lot of, uh, sentiment in here about, um, bravery too. And mm-hmm. I, I fall very weird on this idea because I, I understand the sentiment of my kids are so brave or the bravest person I know is blah, blah, blah. Um, but I also don't think that – I don't think people deal with medical stuff out of bravery. I think they deal with medical stuff out of necessity. Mm-hmm, you mm-hmm. know, like, I mean, I would be happy for you not to think of me as brave if I didn't have to get injections or, mm-hmm. you know, or or have a pump put on me or whatever. You know, excuse me, stuff that I don't want or that might hurt for a little while or be – I don't know that that's bravery. It's just – it's – um. I mean that's the will to live really is what it is. Right,
1: you, you right. Know, like if- yeah, and and I hear this concept a lot. Um or you know and parents are, I think are they're trying to affirm mm-hmm. their child in taking steps to keep themselves alive. Um and I think bravery in the concept of living with a with type 1 could be instances where maybe the child has finally felt comfortable sharing with their peers and they maybe have been hiding it for months or years, or maybe bravery is standing up and teaching your class about it. Your, you know, a a general information. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know, just like kind of smaller steps within living with it. I think, yes, I guess you are being brave by choosing to do the things to keep yourself alive. Um, I think, I lean yes, it's out of necessity, too. Um,
0: No, I mean, and I'm not trying to denigrate it, but, like, I've heard interviews with people who have, like, been in natural disasters, and, like, this guy's a hero, and the guy's like, listen, I was just trying to get out of the building. Those people were in front of me. (laughs) It wasn't (laughs) happening, so I coordinated (laughs) and got the hell out of there and got everybody else out, too. Like, I was just trying to stay alive, you you know, and and it benefited other people, and so, I mean, but I'm not a hero. Like, do you know what I mean? And, And I don't know if there's any... Also, is there any psychological reasons why you wouldn't want to set up a seven-year-old to think that they're you know the end-all and be-all like I don't know like I it's just mm-hmm. a weird it's a weird spot to be in because of diabetes I think it, it, it asks a lot of questions and I don't know all the answers to them
1: yes I I think there can be brave choices while living with type one and brave decisions or brave actions while doing all the things that you have to do to keep yourself alive, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and I think those are fine to affirm. Like maybe it's the child was scared to go back to dance class because they didn't want their, they didn't want their friends to see their, their pump or their CGM, Right. or maybe they were afraid to go back to play sports because they didn't want to go low. And I think affirming those decisions that I think that that is being brave. Of doing something that they're scared—they were scared to do, or fearful, or had some anxiety around because of the type one—and they chose to do that. I think it's—I would affirm that as being brave to do those things yeah. that they were scared I, to I do.
0: I definitely agree. I didn't like—I said I don't want to come off like I think that living with diabetes isn't brave. Of course,
1: <laughs> of course it is,
0: but it's bigger. So um, here's a nice—here's <laughs> a nice one. It starts off terrible, but then it ends nice, and it's, and you don't have to answer it. So. Take a break. Breathe for a second. okay. Uh, she says when her daughter was first diagnosed at six, she would always ask, "How long will I have diabetes?" and when will it go away?" But then, at nine years old, told her mother that it doesn't matter anymore because she still has friends. Mm. And I think that maybe is an insight into how kids' minds aren't as you know, sometimes they're not as um they're not looking for the same things that you're looking for as a resolution, maybe. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't. I don't. just. Yeah, but I just thought that was very sweet. Like it's that uh, is you
1: know, and I think yeah. I think it. It also is very appropriate, age appropriate, right? Because it, at six they're not understanding the permanency, um, and then at age nine because and 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 not understanding is this going to take away my friends? Is this going to change my life? Yeah. And then at nine they're saying, oh well, actually I can still. I still have friends. I can still go to school. I can still hopefully do the things I want to do after school. Um, And I still have to, I still have to manage, but I still can do the things I want. And I I have joy. It's really, yeah. They didn't see a
0: a degradation of the things that they were hoping to have. Now, I mean, there's another kid that said, you know, why does diabetes ruin everything? Um, Mm -hmm. But I, that also could be, I mean, listen, a big part of why this podcast exists is because I believe that a lot of the psychological, like, lightness that can come is after you really understand how to use the insulin so that you're not yeah. just constantly chasing things around and and you don't know why things are happening. So maybe that kid's stuff is being ruined because, you know, they're constantly chasing blood sugars and they're high and they're low and they're stopping from doing things. But I that's why I think that it's important to, to understand how to better manage so that you can lessen those moments.
1: Um, yes, yes. And yeah, that, we don't know maybe that what's what's going around what's surrounding that statement is he not feeling good (laughs) a lot of the time
0: well yeah there's a ton of questions in here about why do i feel angry when i'm higher why do i feel Mm -hmm. anxious when i'm lower you know all that stuff and i mean listen we've answered those questions in the podcast a million times you know your blood sugar fluctuations uh impact your impact your brain your mood and your body yeah absolutely everything else to me, the answer to that question is, I don't know, but I'm going to go back to episode 210 of the podcast, listen to the pro tips and try to figure it out. Like, I mean, honestly, that that's a good answer. Okay, here's one yes. that's hilarious. Why does the insurance company take like two or three months to get me a pump? Why can't they have more than one person working on the paperwork?
1: <laughs> <laughs> good question.
0: Yeah. To, to that, we all say, yeah, what the heck? <laughs>
1: Oh my gosh! Yes, I don't know. That's that is sad though. Is it still? Does it take that long? Listen, I don't. This, I can't. I don't know.
0: What this kid doesn't know is that one day they're going to have the pure joy of getting on the phone with a faithless person at, a, at an insurance company and cursing <laughs> at them. It is so cathartic. You're going to love.
1: It. <laughs> oh yes, and yeah, we just they're They're excited and they want it. I get it.
0: Yeah, I know, but I just trust me, you don't know how great it feels to yell at somebody on the phone who you don't know and have no relationship to. Wait do you have it? It's a lovely moment.
1: <laughs> oh my God, <gosh. laughs> come on you
0: have you never said the f word to an insurance company, Erica?
1: No, I have not, actually. Um, I find it's the
0: quickest <laughs> way to get resolution.
1: <laughs> <sighs> oh, uh, my I gosh. Society's
0: different now. People don't accept things as well. But I love cursing at people on the phone. I think it makes things move. Actually, you know, I try very hard not to be um, uh, in at, at all confrontational. Like, I like things to go smoothly. But when it gets down to it, I think an, a well-placed F-bomb gets you somewhere sometimes. <laughs>
1: i'm glad that that has worked for you, you know, at least made me feel better for a couple of yeah yeah i bet
0: um <laughs> all right let's finish on a they're all low notes so let's just finish yeah. on a lower note um will someone want to marry me and can i have a baby
1: oh oh i i resonate with that one as a little girl i definitely ask that um oh how how I'm curious. How old is this child? Uh, well, if you if it's clear or uh, written, it is not clear. Okay, but I can tell you
0: one thing. I've interviewed people, women specifically, of mm-hmm. a lot of different age groups that I think wonder this. Yeah, you know, like is somebody going to want to take me on as a burden? I think is how mm-hmm. it feels, and yes, uh, that's terrible.
1: Yes, no, I, it's a really normal those both of those are normal questions to have um and as we know back in the day i don't know how many years ago but probably even 40 50 years it it was very scary to have children mm-hmm. with type 1 um and we know we know now obviously that that you can and it takes work um the but the relationship piece i think what the child is kind of revealing by that question is, do I, am I, is there something wrong with me? Is this, yeah, as you said, is this, am I going to be a burden? Um, and I've, I've had children ask this as well. And we talk about, you know, that there's no, no one is perfect in going into a relationship or marriage. And that when you find the, the best fit for you that, they will, everyone will figure it out together, you know, and we'll work together. Um,
0: I, and, so that's what yeah. I tell people. And I'll tell you, I'll tell my daughter the same thing. Anybody who doesn't want to be with you because of diabetes, you don't, you don't, want, want, to you don't want to be yeah. with first of yeah. all. Yeah. I, I listen, if Eric, if they don't want to, if they don't want to marry you because you got a ton of uh, college loans that I understand. Okay. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but if, if, um, if somebody, it, 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 it's who it's not it's not who you are maybe per se but it is something that you that you live with and so if they're not up for that they're not up for you and you That's don't right. and i don't think you want to spend a lot of time trying to talk somebody into it to be perfectly honest with you move on and and it's one of the reasons why like i think every question that we've asked here today i've answered already throughout the podcast and episodes mm-hmm. but i know people can't listen to everything so I try to have people on all the time who are in great relationships with other people who are supportive of their diabetes. And I do that partially so that you'll get like, wow, he found a woman that loves him. She found a guy that et cetera. These two girls got together, whatever it ends up being. Mm-hmm. People found each other and the diabetes wasn't an issue. And and I do think that's the answer to that question. The right person won't care.
1: Right, because ultimately that reveals more about them than you. Yeah. If if they if that if it's too scary or too much right yeah and
0: and and also maybe it's not even a judgment of them
1: maybe it's just something they can't deal with or maybe they didn't
0: I mean listen it's hard to know in the moment when you're dating but there are people you feel like you're in love with who you know 20 years later you realize like I did really love that person back then but I couldn't have been married to them for 30 years like there's something special about my wife and my relationship like, because I don't know how aware everyone is, but like you're really hard to be in another with another person for this long. It doesn't, yeah. and, and and if a lot of things that you can't even imagine when you're young, if they don't mesh well, it it's just it's very difficult, and it's too easy to get out of a marriage. So people will will bail before they even try sometimes. But that's not my point. My point is, seriously, the right person won't care. That's right. That's what I think. So. And you'll probably still end up divorcing them for a different reason. So don't even worry about it. <laughs> oh, <gosh. laughs> oh, come on, Erica. Stop it. How <laughs> many people do you talk to who are divorced? It's like one and two, isn't it? Oh, I don't know. Yeah, you don't know. <laughs> because you always, always wanting to be upbeat. I had someone on here recently. I, I know you have to go. but So I'll end by telling you I just interviewed somebody a couple of weeks ago who at the end of the interview told me that their family saw you, and it was a huge help.
1: Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah.
0: So I won't share anybody's personal details because I think that's wrong. Um, But they were very, very um, complimentary about the time they spent with you.
1: Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. Still can only take
0: patients in California?
1: Yes, that is still the rule. Yes. Um, But yeah, anywhere in California, because we now have the telehealth comfort. So that's a great option. Oh, cool.
0: Well, I will definitely put in your URL here. I want you to know. That as I just kind of like highlight something here, we got through what I would consider to be a very small fraction of this thread, which I have been scrolling through the entire time I was talking just now. Okay. And so I just wow, I just got to the end. A lot of them might end up being worded differently, but being duplicates of each other. Um, but I really appreciate you spending the time going through this with me because I felt a real responsibility to this thread after I posted it, and I really, yes. I did not know what to do. Like I got, oh. I really like I. There was a moment when I was like, "Oh, I messed up. I shouldn't have done this. <laughs> like, <you> know, like <laughs> I, I'm not qualified." I in my mind, this was going to be like Jenny and I doing like short episodes about questions, right? And it just did not go
1: that way. Um, oh well, I'm glad we were able to. Get through a portion.
0: Yeah, me too. Oh, so listen at the end, let's share this with everybody. My favorite place to cry is in the shower. Where's yours?
1: Oh, you know, I'm I'm a good car crier, but also the shower. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I I actually think that's uh good for people to know that uh I I, I think that at some point all this Is overwhelming and you have to just let go of it because if you hold on to it, it's just, it's, it's debilitating and it'll, it'll impact you in ways you'll never see. So I like getting in the shower and crying. You can do it whenever you want to.
1: Yes. I, I affirm and support that 100%. Erica,
0: thank you very much. Well, first, I want to thank everyone who sent in all of those questions. There are actually more. I'll probably go back and do the rest with Erica at some point. And speaking of Erica, thank you so much for being a great voice on the Juicebox podcast. Check her out, if you're in California, at ericaforsythe.com. I'd also like to thank TrialNet for being a sponsor of the Juicebox podcast. I know that ad ran a little long, but it's very important and there's a lot to understand. TrialNet.org. Forward slash juice box. When they ask how you heard about them, please choose Juice Box Podcast with that drop down box. I hope you have a great day. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box Podcast. You need information about the podcast? Check out juiceboxpodcast.com. You're looking for management stuff? Go find those pro tip episodes. They begin at episode 210. You're also looking for the Defining Diabetes series, How We Eat, After Dark, Algorithm Pumping, and all of the rest. Check it out at juiceboxpodcast.com. And don't forget about the private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes. It's completely free and has 17,000 people in it talking about diabetes. All right, listen, the episode's over, but if you want to hang out for a couple more minutes, I'm going to explain to you why I think taking the survey at the T1D Exchange is so important. If you don't want to hear it, it's cool. Just push stop and go listen to another episode of the Juicebox podcast. I'm here to ask you to join the T1D Exchange registry. And that sounds like a lot, something to join, right? But you're really just taking a survey. Uh, why am I asking you to do that? Here's why. The T1D Exchange is a nonprofit research organization dedicated to accelerating therapies and improving care for people living with type 1 diabetes. So that's a very official statement from them. It's 100% true, but it's also kind of dry and boring. And, you know, I understand if you're not super excited by it. Here, Here it is, bare bones. You go to this website, you answer a few questions. It takes you less than 10 minutes. You can do it from your phone. You can do it, you know, while you're sitting on the toilet if you want to. I don't really care. Although, you shouldn't sit too long because, well, anyway, you don't want that problem. Let's get past why you shouldn't sit too long on the toilet and get back to this. The T1D exchange does good work for people with type 1 diabetes. It's why I took on this thing. They came to me and they said, can you help us get people on the registry? I said, "Uh, I could try. I don't know if I can. And I've gotten a lot of people on the registry. I'm not going to lie to you, uh, a lot. But this is... Diabetes Awareness Month, and I thought maybe, you know, maybe you'd be in the spirit to help people with type 1 a little extra in November. The T1D Exchange still needs thousands of you to answer the survey. Why? Well, because they translate real-world experiences into real-world solutions, and those solutions make lives easier for people with type 1. It's their goal to help type 1 families through research at the clinical level through their quality improvement collaboration, and through research at the personal level through their T1D exchange. Now, what's the exchange? You can read all about this, by the way, at T1DExchange.org forward slash box, but I appreciate you listening to me as I explain it to you. So the exchange is a research study that's designed to gather evidence, real-world evidence, firsthand and to gather it easily and quickly through the survey. The questionnaire can be done anywhere, from your mobile device or, you know, like I said earlier, on the can if you want. doesn't matter to me. You could be laying in bed or just while you're sitting around at home. And since type 1 is a chronic condition that people live with their entire lives, participants can complete the questionnaire annually if they want to help researchers understand surviving and living with type 1. So imagine what this is: is. You're helping with type 1 diabetes research without leaving your home. You don't have to go to a study center or sign up for some long thing that you have to be in for months or travel for. It's a way for you to help right from your house. Now, there may be opportunities later. I've seen uh, people on Instagram send me pictures. One one girl sent me a picture of herself at the airport and she was on her way to go do a study that she was gonna be paid for actually. And she learned about it through the T1D exchange and was thanking me because I told her about the exchange. Uh, I can think of another person that I saw online who is in the middle of a study for adhesives for a very popular CGM. She had a bunch of adhesives all over her, and she was testing them. That was the thing that she was getting paid for. Now, not everybody gets paid for things or gets chosen for stuff, but that opportunity does exist. But you won't find out about it unless you sign up and, you know, complete the survey. Now, you don't have to do those other things. They might contact you with an email and say, hey, you want to do an adhesive study? And you might go, uh, eh, no. And that's it. And no harm, no foul, you haven't hurt anybody's feelings. So that's it, really. It's super simple. It's t1dexchange.org forward slash juice When you get there, you click on join the registry today and then answer the questions. I've done it. The answers are incredibly simple. They're not probing or terribly personal. They're general stuff about living with type 1 diabetes. And then you finish the survey and that's it. You've helped them. You've helped people living with type 1 diabetes and you've supported the podcast. All right, let's go for it, right? We have all of November. I don't know how many we can do. I think we could do a lot. Honestly, 30 days. What did they say? 30 days have November, April, June, and December. All the others have 31. I don't really know all the words to that. Not really the point, but I can tell you this. I have a calculator right here. If I take a thousand, one, two, three, zeros, and I divide it by 30 days, 33 people a day, and we'd have 1,000 at the end of the month. 60 people a day, 2,000. It's doable. There are so many people listening to this podcast that if just a small percentage of you did this, we'd make a huge difference.